When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Welcome into the Staples Show. It is Wednesday, December 6th, and that means Shout is back in your lives uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, on a, a Buffalo Bills football Wednesday where the Bills uh, were very active today at One Bills Drive. We heard from Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, a um, bunch of players, Josh Allen, Micah Hyde, uh, Deion Dawkins, congrats to him. Uh, he is the Bills nominee, nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Um, obviously, a lot to get into in this episode of Shout, uh, the Von Miller situation, uh, the latest there. We'll talk about Dalton uh, or Dawson Knox, excuse me, returning to practice, and his 21-day practice window has been opened. Uh, we'll take a couple insider questions, of course. And as always, uh, this episode of Shout and every episode of Shout is brought to you by tops friendly markets and right now it is the advent calendar 24 days of deals at tops every day from december 1st until christmas eve you can revel uh, or reveal excuse me an exclusive digital deal hidden behind a magical advent calendar window each digital deal is valid all month long and can be used in store or online just shop with your tops bonus plus card or enter your phone number at checkout Unlock extra savings for delicious treats and more. Uh, it's a really cool little program. You can also log into your topsmarkets.com account uh, and get more details and savings with e-coupons is easy. What is up, Ryan? Hey, not too much. Uh, glad the bye week is over and glad we have a game to talk about here, Matt. We do have a game to talk about, but before we get there, uh, we got to talk about Von Miller. Uh, the next stage in this story played out today and and what we talked about on Friday was we didn't hear from the bills and uh, they were looking into the situation. uh, And as we sit here today, I don't know how much progress they made on, uh, you know, looking into things. I mean, Brandon Bean came out today and I had a very specific uh, question for him. and, And he basically said that they don't think that they have a lot of the information, but with the information that they have, and we're going to get into a couple of the things that Brandon said today, Von Miller is back in the building with the Bills. He he uh, was a vet rest day tomorrow. The plan is for him to practice tomorrow and play on Sunday. So he's back in the building, Ryan. I guess the best place, you know, the best place to be about this conversation at this point is like, is should he be? There's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, this was there was an arrest. There was a a police report affidavit that kind of detailed 
the, the what was alleged uh, by the pregnant woman that uh, Von Miller allegedly uh, assaulted. Um, that was later recanted in uh, a report from WFFA in, in Dallas, where she said that there was no assault. And, and Brandon Bean alluded to that today and said there's two versions of this thing. And the league uh, has an ongoing investigation. And as that investigation plays out, Von Miller you know, is back in the building with no no discipline. Uh, what are your, some of your thoughts here? Yeah, listen, uh, I've seen a lot of upset Bills fans on social media today about the, some of the comments, the fact that he's uh, going to play on Sunday, completely understandable. Uh, but it, it's also where the Bills are right now in terms of this investigation. And you can get into that quote that we were talking about pre-show from Brandon Bean in terms of, you know, uh, punishing players without, you know, knowing exactly what's going on. The fact that this is still an open investigation I, I think the Bills are in a tough spot right now. Now, if I were the Bills, you know, if you want to make him active on Sunday, fine. But I don't know if I would use him on the field uh, unless maybe it was an injury or something like that that took place. Uh, ramp up A.J. Epinesa's snaps. Give Leonard Floyd more run. Get Greg Russo out there. Uh, Kingsley Jonathan, if you want to get him onto the field for some more reps, because, you know, you don't have to say it's a punishment for what happened over the bye week. You can simply point at the effectiveness of Von Miller. Uh, if you want to use that, you know, if the bills say, well, we can't punish him because it's an open investigation. Uh, it's still, it's not in our hands. We don't know all the details then you can bench him and say it's because of ineffectiveness. Uh, you know, I, I think that the bills do have a route there. And if they wanted to do that, do I expect that? No, uh, I just think it's a tricky situation all around, Matt. Yeah, it definitely is a tricky situation. And, you know, we, we kind of went over last week the financial uh, situation that the Bills find themselves in with the contract should they de ultimately decide to move on at any stage of this thing. And, and I'm not even talking about as a result of this. I'm talking about even from a football perspective. Like, we were on track here before this thing even took off um, a couple days ago. Um, would, would he be good enough based on what we've seen on the field the last, um, eight weeks to make the team next year? I mean, he's been right. I think there's an argument to be made that he's been that bad. Now, you know, I, I've made some arguments that, you know, this thing takes time and we saw Tredavious white kind of struggling, uh, when he came back from the ACL, but that's a, a piece of this as well. And so, um, the, the quote that you mentioned was when, when Brandon was asked about internal considerations to any discipline this week, was there any thought given to maybe not playing him? And he said, you have to let it play out is the best way that he could say it. If you get into sitting guys or disciplining guys without the right information, that can be a little dangerous too. We weren't there. We're not investigators. We had our conversations with Vaughn and understood what he believes happened. And so from that standpoint, we can't get into it. It's an open investigation. So we'll just let the legal process play out and he'll participate like normal in practice. Um, you know, I, I get that to a degree. The one thing for me that, and it's why I pose the question to it, to, to Brandon in the press conference is listen, in the United States of America, you're uh, innocent until proven guilty, right? Like he was arrested. He was released on bond. There's a court uh, proceeding that has to happen. But I do think the serious nature of the details in uh, the police report um, are worth pause. And, you know, maybe the bills had that pause. But for me, it would be enough of a pause to just press pause on everything from a plain perspective it's 
it's it's kind of like um, tough for me to understand how you can go from that on Thursday to 11 days later, 10 days later, playing on the football field at Arrowhead. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Everything that's in the, the police affidavit, uh, everything that we heard in the 911 call, uh, everything that, you know, the police pretty much saying it looked like she had marks that would indicate pressure on, on her neck. Everything that came forward, it, it doesn't look good. And, and for the Bills to sit here and say, well, you know, we heard from him and what he thinks happened, it, it does. It casts a a bad light on, on the bills to a certain extent. And I'm with you. It's innocent until proven guilty in the United States and America. Uh, but at the same time, I, I would have preferred the bills saying, you know, we're going to kind of let this legal proceeding run its course. And we're going to kind of uh, have Vaughn inactive during that time, because uh, you know, he's not doing much on the field for you anyways. It's going to be a distraction for this team. And, and truth be told, you know, I, I wouldn't want him playing right now based on everything that's going on. I don't think that uh, it sends a good message to some of the females maybe working in the organization, some of your your fan base. Uh, I, I think there was a different way to, to possibly play this. If I were the Bills, I don't agree with what they're doing. But, you know, this is ultimately is the decision of Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott and company at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I basically asked, and it's a hard question to ask because, you know, they're gathering information. They feel like they don't have uh, all the information that they need. But, you know, I basically asked Brandon, are you comfortable making this decision with the possibility that things could change? And some of the stuff that was in that police report ends up being true, basically, right? Like that's that's the the risk or the gamble that you kind of take in this scenario uh, and he said, I don't think we have a lot of information other than our conversation with Vaughn, his representatives and the league, uh, other than the media reports and things like that. So we've not been able to have conversations with people who are on the scene investigating the call and things like that. Uh, it's very early in the process. And those people in Dallas aren't just going to get on the phone. They're not worried about the Buffalo Bills. They're going to do what they do uh, on the timeline that they do it. And we'll take the lead of, of the NFL for how we move forward. And you know, I think that to me is, is the sticking point is like, if, if I make a decision, I, I want to have, I want to have all the information or all the sides of the story before I make a decision. And to me, that's the, that's the hold it. That's the hold up for me on this whole thing is that, and, and why I, I'd be more willing to press the pause button on everything and, and taking a step back and like, listen, it doesn't even have to be as formal as you know, suspending him or, um, you know, releasing him or something crazy like that. Um, which by the way, that may not be crazy if this ends up being true, but that's a, a whole nother, uh, conversation, but just, you have a lever to pull and just by making him inactive and giving, you know, the process a little bit more time to play out. And from a football perspective, Ryan, like, you know, Brandon Bean went on and talked about like how they've been making a decision every week about, putting the best 48 guys on the field. And I think there's an argument to be made that he's not one of them from a football perspective right now. And I know that's a crazy thing to say about Von Miller. And I get that they've been working him back into the rotation, but I don't know if you're losing anything football wise by just being a little bit more safe than sorry. Uh, as this thing continues, progresses, the inve investigation uh, goes a little bit more ongoing. Now I will say 
uh, the NFL, in terms of their investigation, they've had about five or six days on this, and there's been no indication from the league to the Bills that uh, going on the commissioner's exempt list is in, in play, which I think is a significant part of this. We don't want to leave that out because had that been something that was even in consideration, uh, and Brandon Bean said that he, he believes it's not, then maybe the Bills kind of act in a different way. There's probably a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know. So it's almost like you don't want to jump too far and and get a little bit too um, you know over your skis, if you will, and trying to assess all this thing. It's complicated. It's a, a lot of moving parts. But man, it it goes back to what we talked about the other day. None of this feels good. None of it feels right. Like watching Von Miller come off the practice field and walk across the. Uh, I know there was some video put out on social media. It just it just doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't. You're right. It's extremely complicated. There's a lot of wrinkles to this, but I think the simplest case would be making him inactive. He's still getting his paycheck. Uh, the bills can can talk about the fact that he's not one of the best 48 right now. He has not been effective as a pass rusher. Uh, you know, then there's nece- not necessarily any hurt feelings in, in terms of, uh, you know, the player himself. He should understand that he's not performing. There's players that are that are maybe not getting as many snaps as they should, like an AJ Epinesa, uh, like a Leonard Floyd, like a Greg Russo. Uh, and then once, you know, once everything does become a little bit more clear in terms of what's going on, when they do get to talk to uh, the Dallas PD and, and the people there, then they can make that a, a more definitive decision. But right now I feel like uh, there was an option to at least make him inactive. And, and maybe the Bills do end up doing that on Sunday. It, do, it certainly doesn't feel like that is something they're going to do based on the comments we heard today. Um, John, uh, over on YouTube, one of our regulars asked, is he suspended? Can they get out of his contract? That's all much further down the road, John. They're still in the beginning stages uh, of the investigation. Uh, he is with the team. The plan is for him to play on Sunday. I'll be interested to see how much he plays, Ryan, because you know I, I put out a call to action in our Shout Buffalo Bills Insider text line this week, and I asked, you know, I'll hand you over the microphone if you will. We, direct me a little bit in terms of what you want me to do in the locker room this week. And you know, a couple of people asked about Dawson Knox, and we obviously got a, a huge update on him. Today, I got a chance to talk to him. I wrote about him. That's up at the site right now, NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com. But the other question in light of the Von Miller situation is, all right, A.J. Epinesa, a guy that has had some really big points this season uh, of play where he's been really good. And so I went up to him and said, listen, I I took a dive into your season, and it's it's pretty similar uh, across the board. He's averaging around 30, 35 snaps per game. There was one game that stood out. It was 59 snaps against the Jacksonville Jaguars when they had a couple guys that were banged up in that game. He had to play much more. And Ryan, you remember that game. I mean, he was absolutely electric. He had three passes batted down, two stacks. He might have had the forced fumble in that game. And, you know, so I, I, I went up to A.J. Epinesa today and I asked him about that production in that spot with that kind of snap count. And, and here was a, a snippet of a quote that I got from him, which I thought was interesting. Now, he did say, before I get into this, that he feels like the Bills' defensive line has been so successful this year because they are able to rotate and keep guys fresh. But, quote, I believe I'm the kind of player where I wear people down. The more snaps I get, the more I wear them down. I just feel like I'm that kind of person. And so whenever I feel like I get a chance like that, I just kind of – 
kind of get to work somebody, show them different things and different looks for some guys and start making them second guess themselves. And to me, if I'm Eric Washington or Sean McDermott, especially in a spot like this against the Kansas City Chiefs team coming up here this week with Greg Rousseau nursing what I think is still the lingering effects of that injury he dealt with over a month ago, man, like, aren't you a little bit interested in what it looks like if maybe you flip things around a little bit and let AJ Epinesa have the lion's share of the snaps for one week when he's had those kinds of performances he's been really good and I think you're going to need a big time performance against the Chiefs whether it be from Rousseau Leonard Floyd or AJ Epinesa to really um keep this struggling Chiefs offense at bay yeah that's just it uh you, you go back to that Jacksonville game he almost single-handedly kept the team in that matchup after they had all those significant injuries to Matt Milano, Daquan Jones. Uh, he had at least one uh, forced fumble on Trevor Lawrence, if not both. He was able to get in, strip him of the ball, or come up with a big sack. Uh, he really rose to the occasion when he had that lion's share of uh, the snap count. So with everything going on now, I, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea with the growth that we've seen from Epinesa this season to let him have, you know, a, a bigger uh, portion of the snap count, a bigger percentage of the snap count than what we've seen in, in recent weeks. Uh, keep Von Miller off the field. Keep his snaps minimal if he plays at all. Uh, go with the guys that have been producing. Go with the guys that you need to be able to create those disruptions. The other thing that AJ Epinesa has been great at, and you mentioned, is getting his hands up. If you can't get to the quarterback, get your hands up bat the balls up in the air. He and Greg Rousseau are both great at that. Uh, you can get interceptions off of that. You get incomplete passes off of that. You get off the field when that happens. Uh, against Patrick Mahomes, you know, a special quarterback, this is an offense that is still struggling to find its identity this late into the season, which is unheard of in Kansas City. So if you can disrupt him in any way and get them off the field and get them off to a slow start, uh, I think that is, is key, and I think that's uh, you know a big part of that would be playing AJ Epinesa for the bulk of those snaps. Yeah, Leonard Floyd was quick to uh, push back today when asked about the struggling Chiefs offense, and he's seen Patrick Mahomes twice, and he said, "I think he thinks he lost both games, and and how special they can be and turn things on." And I think with the development uh, evolution of that offense with She Rice, kind of like you know elevating himself to the top of the pecking order in the wide receiver room, you know, they, they have the ability to find things. And when you have Patrick Mahomes back there, you always uh, have a chance. This is going to, I think it's going to be a really good game and we'll get into more of that on the preview show. Um, but let's talk about uh, this episode of shout first. And I want you to hit that like button, subscribe to the channel as well. We're cruising up over a hundred uh, late here on a Wednesday night, big game week. Uh, we're going to get into all that. I have a conversation lined up tomorrow with Matt Verderam, who has covered the Chiefs for many years. Now it's Sports Illustrated. He will be a big part of our preview show on Friday. Um, I want you to get out your calendars, and I want you to write down now, uh, what, a th little more than three weeks out, uh, so we can start planning it. Maybe you're out of town and you're going to be in for the holidays. We are doing Shout Live uh, at Wingnuts on December 30th. Uh, that is a Saturday night, I believe. Let me just double check here. Yeah, I don't right before the uh, Patriots game. Yes, uh, the 36 p.m. location TBD. So put in the date, put in the time. We'll get back to you on the location 
fingers crossed. Maybe we got the new location to uh, christen it right before uh, the New Year, uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, but we will see. If not at uh, the new location in Amherst, we will be back at Froth, which we love, uh, 700 Military Road. Stay tuned for that, but get it on your calendar um, ASAP. All right, Dawson Knox is up next here. And it was a big day for him because he returns to practice. He's listed on the injury report as full. He um, talked about the wrist today and said, it's feeling great. He's only wearing like a very small little brace on it. Actually, Mark Gaughan from the Buffalo News kind of mentioned, asked him during the interview, like, are you wearing anything? And he's like, yeah, I got this little brace and he could barely uh, kind of see it. So uh, he returns to practice, 21-day window opened. Uh, he said he feels great. He thought he could have played in the Eagles game. Uh, but obviously the training staff said, all right, relax, slow it down a little bit. Let's take two more weeks, get that little bit more healing involved. And he said it worked uh, wonders. He, he said it feels completely uh, better. He was out there catching footballs today. There's some videos that have been circulating. Uh, our good friend um, Dan Fates from uh, Rochester, John Scott, uh, Matt Bovey, they all have clips from Dawson Knox today that you can go check out over on X Twitter. And then, uh, so he's practicing today, Ryan, like I think he's trending in a really good direction to be able to play on Sunday. The big question is how does he get interjected back into this offense with now Dalton Kincaid kind of stepping into a little bit more of a star role, if you will, most weeks since Knox has been down. Yeah, that's the million dollar question. And listen, Dawson Knox has had some success against the chiefs in his career in regular season games, uh, in some of the playoff games. So uh, there's a recipe there that has worked for him, but at the same time, Dalton Kincaid has looked like a star in his absence. He's really come on. He's had some, uh, eight catch, 10 catch performance games some five or six catch performance games mixed in. He's looked comfortable in this offense. The offense has looked really good with Kincaid, uh, you know, working his way, getting the quick passes and getting the extra yards. So, you know, I would like to think that maybe there there is a plan to mix a little bit of 12 personnel in. I don't think that the, the Bills want to go back to that is their main offense, knowing what they know and uh, seeing the, the success that they've had in these two weeks uh, in terms of how well they've moved the ball, the points that they've put up. At the worst, though, he can kind of take over the Quinton Morris role, obviously, of tight end two. And as tight end two, you know, Quinton Morris was playing 24, 25% of the snaps, playing 25 to 30 snaps on the field. I think one, easing Dawson Knox back in in terms of that much, that many snaps is a good way of approaching it, making sure that Kincaid remains your top guy. Uh, you can mix Knox in a little bit more on the rundowns. You don't want to make it too obvious for defenses to figure out what you're doing, but obviously he is still the superior blocking tight end on this team. So there's ways to kind of ease him in, but in no way, shape, or form do I want to see him take over that top role that he was assuming before this wrist injury. I think you could go, it goes a long way to keeping these guys fresh in games. If you almost like at times, I don't know if you could break it up like this, but go drive by drive in terms of who's going to be the tight end out there uh, in the 11 personnel looks. Like you just lean on Dalton Kincaid for a drive or two drives. Then you flip things over to Dawson Knox and you mix in some, some 12 personnel and kind of go that way and maybe allow them to kind of stay a little bit more fresh in the game or at least see if that works. Um, I wonder if 
listen, I, I think there's a chance that Dawson Knox plays this weekend. They activate him. Um, the one question that's been posed is like in the insider group is what did the bills do to open up a roster spot for, for Dawson Knox? And I think they could go a couple directions. You know, you have AJ Klein hanging out there. You've obviously ping pong him around a little bit going back to roster cutdowns. Um, you, you could probably go that route or you can finally, which I know bills fans have been, you know, kind of clamoring for this. Maybe you try to get Ty Johnson, cut him, try to get him back to the practice squad. Although he's put some good tape out there the last couple of days, maybe he'll get claimed uh, or signed to another team's 53 man roster and then just elevate Leonard Fournette as that third running back this weekend. Yeah. It's interesting because you're right. Ty Johnson, when given opportunities the past few weeks has looked the part, he has done a really good job. Uh, with carries, he had one nice carry last week or two weeks ago against Philadelphia that was called back on a penalty. Uh, he's shown that he can catch the ball well. You can utilize him on special teams, uh, use him in a different uh, a lot of ways there. And you're right, if if they do cut him and try to move him to the practice squad, he could end up getting claimed elsewhere because of how productive he's been in that limited role. AJ Klein, I think that you could definitely you know release him get him back on your practice squad. There weren't a lot of teams clamoring for him before the Bills signed him. Uh, he's just been inactive every week. So I would probably lean Klein. However, if they did that move with Johnson, like you said, it allows them to elevate Leonard Fournette off of the, uh, or from the practice squad, utilize him, see what he looks like, uh, which, you know, they signed him for a reason. They wanted to get him out here in these December and January type of games. And, Considering all they have to play for, if that was the reason for the signing, you want to get them out there sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to get you all in uh, to become a Shout Buffalo Bills insider sooner rather than later. Uh, and this is a great week. Actually, we're uh, I got to find a date, Ryan. We got to talk about it over the next five days. Maybe we'll do it Saturday, uh, maybe Saturday afternoon. I want to do another Shout Insider uh, exclusive zoom session. And what those look like is we did one when we were traveling to, uh, Florida or for Florida, London. Uh, basically what we do is we send out a link uh, on zoom to all of our uh, shout insiders. Uh, we get together and it's no holds barred. Ask anything that you want. We have a chat. We bring, uh, insiders in, uh, it's kind of an informal podcast in a lot of ways, but almost think about it as just kind of like a hangout. And so, um, I'm really excited to do that. I, I think that that's a, a fun little perk uh, for insiders uh, when we get a chance to hang out with them in that way. Yeah, hangout's a perfect way to put it because, you know, you can send questions to us and we get back to you in the insider chat. We try to address a lot of that here on the podcast, but it doesn't always happen in terms of addressing every single question uh, on the podcast. So in these Zoom settings, you know, they raise their hand, we we bring them in, they get to ask whatever they want, like you said, and we make sure that we address it then and there. It's an open invitation to everyone that's part of this uh, Bill's Shout Insider text line, and uh, I always look forward to those events. Yeah, and if there's something that maybe is even off the beaten path, like maybe it's not the time of the year, maybe you want to start talking about drafts, maybe you want to start talking about um, some other things that you've had, to, you've wanted to ask, but you've, you felt like you missed your window, uh, it's a great avenue for just a relaxed uh, conversation. The Shout text line is brought to you by Carrie C. Buyer. Attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Litra, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give him a call at 716-852-1234 or check out litrolaw.com. You can become a Shout Insider today by texting 716-528-6727.
Uh, get yourself a two-week free trial, $3.99 a month after that. All right, Ryan, speaking of our Shout Insiders, I sent you a really cool thought exercise that was sent in um, from Gerard in Tampa, Florida on the insider line today, uh, or maybe it was a couple days ago. Would you rather the Bills be in this current situation that they're in right now at 6-6, six and six, Joe Brady looking good as the offensive coordinator, offense looking good with a real, realistic chance to win out, or would you rather the Bills have won the game against the Broncos, assuming the next two games played out the same, be 7-5, and five, but Ken Dorsey is still the offensive coordinator? The Bills probably be one of the current wildcard spots and wouldn't necessarily be in a must-win situation the next few weeks. Uh, he says he chooses the current situation because he likes the odds better with Brady than Dorsey, but curious to see what we think. What do you think, Ryan? I agree with him. Uh, I, I honestly lost a lot of faith in the Ken Dorsey offense, Matt. You know, you see, you saw what the Bills were doing. They weren't scoring a lot of points. They were struggling to put to go, uh, put together, excuse me, successive drives where they can move up and down the field. And there was a lot more turnovers. And you know, turnovers don't fall necessarily on Dorsey's plate, but they found themselves backed up a lot. They found themselves in bad situations a lot. They didn't. Uh, some of the the plays that he would call didn't seem to make sense for the rhyme and reason of what you were trying to do for the next play. It seems to be more the execution is better under Joe Brady in terms of setting up the next play, getting into a, a second and medium, a third and manageable or a third and short, uh, moving the chains that, you know, for whatever reason with Joe Brady on board now, you've un, unleashed Josh Allen, the runner. You're letting him run more. And uh, I can't remember who I, I saw some clip of, about this. So, you know, if, it'd be interesting to hear from Ken Dorsey sometime here in the future. Uh, were there any any restraints where he was told, you know, we don't want Josh Allen running with the football? And after he got fired, was it, uh, hey, you know, we have to hit the panic button. We have to kind of break the glass on this because if we don't start letting him run a little bit, we might miss out on the playoffs. I, I would love to hear that because for whatever reason, Joe Brady has unlocked this offense, and a lot of that has to do with Allen being a runner, Allen using his legs, Allen making defenses a little bit more nervous that he can take off. Uh, you, you know, you saw the one rushing touchdown he had against the Eagles and, uh, you know, sidestepping a guy, getting into the end zone, how much it fired up him and the team and his teammates and how much more confident and fired up he gets just in general when he's able to run the ball a little bit and it opens things up in the passing game. So of those two scenarios, you know, six and six is not ideal, but I, I feel like Joe Brady might be the OC of the long term here in, in Buffalo and, we wouldn't have known that had they been seven and five in the other scenario and still had Ken Dorsey as their OC. I agree. I I, I obviously agree, but I, I want to go back and give a little bit of love to Dorsey. And, and to your point, I, I think is really an important part of this. And it's interesting to think about, you know, Dorsey was given his marching orders going into this season. And I think through the first four day games of the season, things played out perfectly for the bills. They were sitting there at three and one. They had one of the top defenses in the NFL. Like that was like turning into a scary unit. Like almost like you could make the argument like, man, are we going to be sitting here in December talking about the bills defense being better than its offense? Like remember before the injuries, I mean, at all three levels, they were leading the leading in sacks. AJ Apinesa was kind of having his coming out party. Leonard Floyd Floyd was an instant success. Terrell Bernard was making splash plays. They were fully healthy in their secondary. <clears throat> 
that Miami game was the perfect picture of what Josh Allen and this offense could look like without him running. He only ran it four times, 17 yards, had the one rushing touchdown, but really it was the passing game that was just, and I, I almost wonder if for an offense, it was a little bit of fool's gold because two things were at play there. Number one, that defense was still just struggling, adapting to Vic Fangio's system. They played much better, you know, as the season has progressed. And the other piece of it uh, offensively is like the defense was, you could rely on them. They were, they were a partner in all of this. Now, when Milano gets hurt the next week, Trey White goes out at the end of that game. Daquan Jones goes, goes out against Jacksonville. That changed the course of the season. And in turn, I almost feel like the Bills needed to pivot sooner and, and kind of break glass sooner. Because what ended up happening was they, they tried to you know stay on that course, living off the success of that Miami game, but realizing that in games that are a little bit more con contested because you know the defense isn't as good you're going to need to find different ways to find to find success and i still think that they were he also had marching orders when it came to you know trying to fit a a, a square peg into a round hole you know they had this 11 personnel heavy offense over the last couple of years that they were trying to morph into a 12 personnel heavy offense and it just it didn't work and that's one of the areas where if you're starting to look at Dawson Knox coming back into this thing. That to me is where the challenge really presents itself because when they tried to run a lot of 12 early this season, it didn't work. Can they find maybe in this new version of this offense with Brady at the helm, a way to lean into that a little bit, maybe not as heavily, but find more success in it. But I do think Ken Dorsey was ultimately the fall guy over an organizational failure to adapt quicker to the change of the team's structure, which was trending towards two sides of the ball that were, you know, in that upper tier of the league. Yeah. You know, you raise a great point about the defense. Uh, when they were healthy, we talked after that Dolphins game about has, has there ever been a better Bills defense under Sean McDermott? Uh, you know, they lost the opener to the Jets, but the defense still showed up in a big time way in that matchup. They win their, their next few games and, they stop a Miami team that had scored 70 points the week before that just absolutely shut them down. And uh, Matt Milano looking like the MVP of the defense that he is. You mentioned Bernard. You mentioned the D-line and how good the secondary was playing as well. And then injuries come in. And once once the defense isn't playing at that elite level, uh, it forced the offense's hand to do more. And they, they were struggling to do that. And you're right. I think a lot of that had to do with adjusting to being a 12 personnel type of team or using a lot of 12 personnel, which was not in their wheelhouse before that by drafting Dalton Kincaid, you were trying to make that your offense. And uh, we, we saw it just kind of, it was kind of clunky. It wasn't working. There were uh, guys weren't getting open. We've talked about the separation that the wide receivers struggled with. Uh, that was also happening at the, the level of the, you know, the tight end and, the way that Josh Allen was being utilized. There, there was a lot of problems with that. And, you know, we don't know exactly what Ken Dorsey was told to do or not to do. So he, he was a scapegoat at the end of the day. But to that question itself, you have to love the results of what Joe Brady has done in two matchups against the Jets and the Eagles, two really good defenses where they've put up over 30 points in both matchups. And this offense has looked a lot like the offense that we – 
grew accustomed to seeing when Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator, how things were going because Josh Allen could hurt you with his arm and his legs. And, you know, now you enter this must win matchup against the chiefs on Sunday and uh, chiefs defense had been playing at a high level early in the season. And the last two weeks, they've really struggled against uh, Aiden O'Connell and last week against Jordan love. So you'd like to think that Josh Allen's going to find a lot of success with uh, the way he has been playing and the way he has played in the past against Kansas City. If the defense is healthier, which we we are, you know, we think they're going to be as healthy as they've been in quite some time coming off the bye. Uh, this is a, a really good opportunity for Brady to have another really good performance and maybe the Bills to start stacking some wins on their way to, uh, you know, trying to get a wild card berth. Uh, I, I think Joe Brady has been exactly what the Bills needed. I thought it was something interesting coming from Dawson Knox today, um, you know, because we haven't spoken to him about Brady. He was out, uh, you know, the, the change happened while he was on injured reserve. And, and he had mentioned one specific thing that I'm not saying that Ken Dorsey didn't do this because he was a very inclusive coach going back to his um, uh, quarterback coach days. But I think that there's a way where offensive coordinators go out of their way or have the ability to, and I think Dable was really good at this, in empowering play players by making them part of the conversation where, you know, some people like I'm sure you have, you know, a relationships in an office setting or a work setting of some sort where, you know, you work with people that are professional, they're good at their job, but maybe they talk at you instead of talking with you. You know what I mean? And I'm not necessarily sure that was the thing, but I'm just kind of like spitballing off the top of my head. Dawson Knox said that one of the things he's noticed about Joe Brady, even from the sidelines, you know, working his way back rehabbing is the communication part and, and him being open to like plays that maybe the, the players don't like and figuring out a way to find play plays that they do like. And to me, that takes us right back to what Brian Dable was so popular in the room for. And I think if, if Brady can lean into this is a group that's laden with experienced players, right? Like when you have, you know, I think the bills have the second or third oldest roster in the league, maybe the oldest, you know, when that ends up happening, you have a lot of experience. You have a lot of, you know, um, time on task in the league. And so I think you lean on that as a coordinator. Yeah. The, the fact that he's gathering input from the players, asking them what they like, the community lines of communication are open. It does. It reminds me of Brian Dable and what this offense looked like. And uh, I remember Cole Beasley a few years ago talking about how he went to Dable and he mentioned this play that they ran at SMU and Dable's like, okay, let's try it. And sure enough, it worked and it, and it became something that became a regular part of the offense. You know, that's what you want in an offensive coordinator. Not some, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Ken Dorsey was this way. We're like, I'm the coordinator. I've got this. Uh, you need to have those open lines of communication where players know their strengths. They know, they know what works well for them. Uh, and having an offensive coordinator that's creative enough to incorporate that, utilize that, and, and get the best out of his players because – you know, I feel like we, we have gotten a, a lot out of, obviously, Stefan Diggs throughout his entire career. And I know the stat lines haven't looked uh, phenomenal under Joe Brady, but he's still, you know, they're clearly their wide receiver one. Gabe Davis has had a really good two games. I know he did not have any catches in the one, but he was given a game ball for his blocking, uh, how selfless he was in that matchup uh, or the game before. And then he had a really nice you know, 100-yard game. So he's kind of come on a little bit. We know what Shakir's done this season. We know what Kincaid can do. 
getting those guys all comfortable, getting them plays where they can possibly feel successful and, and they can be utilized, I think is going to help this offense out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay uh, Schroeder over on YouTube says, how different will uh, the 12 personnel look under Brady? Might be a good change if uh, they make the, if the Bills make the playoffs. It's interesting because I think there's one piece to the 12 personnel part of things. Now, I'm no film expert. I will never claim to be. Uh, I haven't studied this on tape. So anybody that has and wants to uh, say I'm dead wrong for this, feel free to flame me in the comments. But one thing that I think the Bills could do a little bit more with Dawson Knox is be be creative with the way that they use him in motion pre-snap, where they line him up. Like to me, the athleticism there lends itself to doing multiple things. So lining him up in line, lining him up outside wide, using him in some pre-snap motion. We've seen some action from some of the teams over the last couple of weeks. You know, the Chiefs do it. uh, The 49ers do it. I'm sure Baltimore has done it where they're like running jet sweeps for their tight end. To me, that's a Dawson Knox special. Like how much do you just want to see the ball in his hands? Like I, I think about this with Dawson Knox. How many times have you seen him catch at the ball with his back to the defense and then have to turn around and having him not have enough time to navigate the the contact point quickly enough to where he can utilize that really next level um, physicality as a, as a ball carrier. Like some of his early highlights, Ryan, if you go back to his rookie season where when he got out in space, had some time to negotiate things a little bit and then lay the boom, like what better way to do that than on a jet sweep? Why not lining him up in the backfield? Why not maybe give him a couple carries? I don't know. Throw some stuff in the wall. See what see what sticks. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. As a rookie, it was a wide open pass against the Bengals, so he had a lot of room to navigate. And then he had the stiff arm, the lower the shoulder moment. Uh, he he had the time to kind of uh, come up with that. He, he had there weren't enough players around him when he first initially caught that ball that uh, would stop him in his track. So there's something to be said about that. I think we're going to see a little bit of more of maybe some Joe Brady aspects to this offense sprinkled in post by had some time to add some wrinkles to uh, the offense that he inherited. But I really don't think we're going to see big differences in 11 personnel, 12 personnel uh, in terms of the the plays itself, just because you, you can't come in at any point in season and change everything around. Now you can change the pre-snap motion. Like you mentioned, you can have Josh Allen under center more. There's things he can do, uh, but until he has a full offseason to really incorporate his offense, it's going to be more of wrinkles and sprinkles, as I call it, uh, into this offense that he inherited. Um, let's go to a subscriber, uh, shout subscriber uh, question. It comes from Ali Calabri. He's one of our regulars in this segment. On the topic of how warm is Sean McDermott's seat? I see a lot of people defending him for bringing the Bills out of the shadows for 20 years and breaking the drought in his first year with an underwhelming roster. While he's done plenty, we're all grateful for. At what point do we raise expectations and not factor in a team that went to the playoffs five years ago only to lose to Jacksonville 10 to 3? Question mark. That was fun five years ago, but all we should be caring about now is Super Bowl or bust. Additionally, folks say it'll, it'll be a while before Terry Pagula moves on from McDermott as they uh, have a close relationship and all that he's done for Buffalo. What factors do the health of Kim Pagula play into all of this? We haven't heard much at all about her lately, and imagine Terry has a lot on his plate and doesn't want to blow up 
uh, what he has, let alone if she's a co-owner, make sure she's in good standing before that type of decision is made. I guess I'm not sure what my question is here. Just a few thoughts I've had as uh, we've reflected on McDermott's future here over the last month. Yeah. And, and thanks for the question or for the, you know, the comment and, I get where he's coming from. I get the hot seat. I, but you know, our friend Tim Graham reporting that almost zero chance that uh, McDermott goes at the end of the season. And, and part of me really does understand that. I, I get the Bills don't want to waste Josh Allen in his prime and waste Stefan Diggs. And you know, he's he's up there at thirty now, and you don't want to look back on this as that window where you had all this talent. McDermott has his shortfalls. You can talk about adjustments. You can talk about uh, some some in-game management, maybe dialing up the wrong play at the wrong time, you know, the back-to-back all-out blitzes against Denver and, and how that cost them and uh, the, the play against in, in overtime against Philadelphia. But I think that he's also shown that he does have the right understanding of the culture. He does have a good pulse on the locker room and the players. And, you have not seen, even though this has been their most difficult season since Josh Allen's rookie year, you have not seen any players coming out and uh, saying anything about him. I, I think that Terry Pagula, more than anything else, is going to sit there and say, this guy's brought a lot of success to Buffalo. There's a lot of notable injuries that happen on the defensive side of the ball. He can look at the way the defense was playing pre-injuries and, and the fact that they were playing at a high level. If this team can sneak into the playoffs again, I think that takes all the heat off of uh, McDermott's seat first and foremost, even if it's a wild card. But uh, I I just think that he has built up a a lot of good standing with Pagula uh, that you you just can't let him go after one season like this. I understand those fans that would like to see him, you know, go and get replaced with an offensive mind. But if Joe Brady really is this, uh, you know, offensive-minded guru that uh, he may be, that, that he was hyped up to be at LSU and uh, how he's looked through two games. You have that side of the ball possibly figured out for the foreseeable future. You get McDermott to hire a defensive coordinator in the offseason, whether it's someone internal or on the outside, and then you let him go back to just having the workload of a head coach where he's wearing too many hats this season, and you give him another chance to show what he can do. But you also make him realize that next year could be the year where he's really it's really make or break, so to speak. Yeah. And listen, even even if the extension didn't happen right at the start of the season, I'd still be only lukewarm on the idea of the Bills firing Sean McDermott. And we've been critical of him on the show. Yeah, I think he deserves a lot of the criticism for why they're sitting here at six and six. I think there's decisions that have been made. I think with a, with a second year play caller, first time offensive coordinator in Ken Dorsey to basically go all in on the idea that he can handle things on the offensive side on his own. And, you know, you just kind of focus on defense, I think was a bit short-sighted on Sean McDermott's part. And I think that, you know, when adversity hit, when things kind of, you know, went off course a little bit. I think you could kind of look to that as one of the reasons why it did so much. I mean, there was no oversight for Ken Dorsey. You know, he was operating, I think, under the direction of Sean McDermott, who had mentioned over the course of that struggle, uh, four, four losses in six games, that he did have his imprint on that offense, but only so much so. Uh, and I think that they've been, they, it, it's costed them in big game situations, none more than the Denver game. Um, I think the Denver game and the New England game are the two that you look back to at the end of the season and say, 
if only the Bills had won those two games, how much easier their December would be into January. But it, it, it doesn't work that way. But I was somebody said something very interesting to me on, on Twitter today about how you know I was advocating for the Bills not to fire um, Sean McDermott, and, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Like I'm not out here, you know, leading the charge to keep Sean McDermott as the Bills head coach, but I just am not at a point yet, Ryan, where I think he should be fired for several reasons. Number one, I do think that there's been enough sustained success, um, to continue down this path until there's another more viable plan. Now, the problem with that idea is you're looking at a guy in Terry Pagula and in and, and Ali's comments, he he had mentioned Kim Pagula's situation. She was very heavily involved in the organization. Uh, obviously not as much uh, in her, uh, in, in the current situation. Um, but Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have been empowered to basically run the organization. So to me, if you're going to make a change and you're Terry Pagula, you have to have some idea of who you want to go after right? Like you're Denver, you fire Hackett and you say, I am going to make a run at Sean Payton because that's the kind of caliber coach that you want to go out and go get. Now I know Hackett versus McDermott, two completely different caliber of coaches. Mm. I'm not trying to say um, that as well, but you have to have an exit plan because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, you, you might bring in some of these young offensive minded coaches. I know Ben Johnson in Detroit, um, the offensive coordinator in Houston, who a uh, Bobby Slowick, who I know a lot of people are excited about, but if you haven't been in the room with that person, if you don't have any, um, Intel on the kind of operation that they're going to run, you're in a very delicate time. You're in Josh Allen's prime of his career. And I still think you got some, some runway for that prime. You make the wrong decision and you send this, this, this tra- this plane completely off the runway. And that to me is a no-go. And I think at the very worst, Sean McDermott keeps it on the track. I do think Brandon Bean, despite some of his shortcomings in terms of roster building, and I was just having a conversation about this with an insider today, that's going to be a big off-season lift for us as we go back and really start to pluck into and examine this entire now um, build like going back five years and the free agent wins, losses, draft wins, draft losses, and try to really, you know, weigh things out. Uh, despite all of that, I think that they're, they want to put talent around Josh Allen, which is very important. And, and they got to prove it in the draft, draft the wide receiver. I'm starting that train now. I know it's been yeah. started already with other people. <laughs> um, that's number one. And number two, I do think you can make the argument that Sean McDermott has a locker room of guys, to your point earlier in the show, that want to play for him. And even despite all the challenges and shortcomings, that remains pretty steadfast. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you you mentioned Brandon Bean. Those two are kind of locked together. I know they didn't come into the organization at the same time, uh, but I, I feel like Sean McDermott had a big say in Brandon Bean being named GM after he was already there as head coach. Uh, from their time in Carolina together, and, and they've been on the same page, it seems like, year in and year out. And if you were to move on from McDermott, you know, one, that the next head coach m- might not want to come here that you might have pegged because he might want to have his own GM coming. You see that a lot where those coveted head coaches have a GM in mind or vice versa, and that's, that's a tough spot too, and you're not going to move on from Brandon Bean. I would argue this is one of his – best draft classes that he's had. 
uh, with, with the success he's had from Kincaid. And we've talked about Osiris Torrance, some of his struggles as of late, but there's been a lot of good throughout this season as well. You hit on those picks. You, you've had some success elsewhere in this draft. You've had some success with like guys in the previous draft with Terrell Bernard and uh, the list goes on and on. And obviously he hit on Josh Allen too, way back when. So, you know, you can point to those things and say they, that both of them, McDermott and Bean, have built up enough here in terms of showing what they've done with this team in this build that, yeah, they've had some misses in the draft. They've had some misses in free agency. There's no denying that. But go to any team, any roster. I don't care how good that roster is, the Eagles, the 49ers, et cetera. There's a lot of misses for those teams, too, in free agency in the draft. It's just part of the beast. Uh, speaking of beasts, Scott Maranto in the house, one of our OGs, uh, good buddies. No more conservative decision-making when you have Josh effing Allen. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I highlight that comment because, to me, this next five games, despite the outcome, say they don't make the playoffs, whatever, like however this thing goes, to me, I think Sean McDermott has to – prove that he understands the team that he has we've talked about this i think in the past if not on the show on, on radio hits that i've done you have to lean into the fact that you have an all-world quarterback trust in that and hand the reins over to him and let him be that guy that you drafted him to be and that you know so many other teams in the league would kill to have that ability in games and you have that with josh allen and i think it's fitting that the bills are going on the road to kansas city this week when they might need him to just go 2021 playoff josh to get a win that they desperately need yeah and you hope that mcdermott learned from that philadelphia game and not wasting a timeout to try to ice the kicker and if you're in that scenario where you have 20 seconds and two timeouts instead of the one uh, that you let Josh Allen go for the win rather than settle for overtime in a hostile environment where you don't know what's going to happen. Let your superstar be your superstar and, and let the the chips fall where they may. Uh, that, that is certainly something that we need to see more of from McDermott, more trust from him. We saw it a year ago in that Detroit game on Thanksgiving, so we know that there are times where McDermott has let him do that. Uh, it just needs to become more of a regular basis where – you know, you, you give him the keys to the car and you let him take this team as far as he can go. Uh, quickly, before we get out of here, uh, didn't mention it at the top, injury report, Dane Jackson, concussion, neck injury, Taylor Rapp, both back in full at practice today. So they are on track for this weekend. And then uh, Kyer Elam uh, kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. Uh, he is, his 21-day window is also open. To me, it feels like Knox is closer. Like, I, I, I don't think that there's any rush to get Elam back on the active roster only because there is, you know, a plethora of options at cornerback. I think Christian Benford um, played really, really well uh, the last couple of games. Um, but what, what are your thoughts on Elam and, and maybe what's going to happen here over the last couple of days? Yeah, it's interesting because – Weeks, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, even when he was healthier – dealing with a nagging ankle injury. He wasn't being used much. He wasn't being played much. He was inactive. Uh, you, you look at the fact that they've added, they added Rasul Douglas at the trade deadline. He's been outstanding. Christian Benford's been really good. Uh, we know what Dane Jackson when healthy can do. So even if, you know, they activate him in that 21 day window, I'm not sure what his role is going to be. He can obviously play in special teams if he's given a game day Jersey, 
Um, I, I just feel like the, the bills have to kind of go into the off season uh, into next year and say, we really need to come up with a plan to try to get this guy some success that we invested a first round pick in. It hasn't happened yet. Time's running out on our end. Uh, we, we have some guys that can certainly play the cornerback position, but what can this guy do? Because we've talked about him at training camp when he was healthy before that ankle injury, he had some good games or good days out there. He has that, uh, speed to catch up to receivers as they get behind him that some of these other cornerbacks do not have. It's just about the comfort level and getting used to his own defense where I know he's a few years in now, but it's not necessarily easy to get used to when you're so used to playing uh, man, when you're so used to playing press, when you're so used to doing certain things throughout your career. So you're hoping that maybe that light bulb goes off this offseason, kind of like it did this past offseason for AJ Epines, a different position. I get it. Uh, but sometimes it just takes certain players longer. The talent's always there. It's just unlocking it. Talent is always there at Tops Friendly Markets, and and right now uh, the deals uh, are great. Tops Christmas Bonus Program, you can become Santa's biggest little helper by shopping uh, for groceries at Tops. Save ten dollars on participating fifty dollar gift cards. That's an extra twenty percent savings on all your holiday gifts just for buying your groceries at Tops. Earn one gift point. For every grocery purchase you make of $50 or more now through December 24th, then redeem one gift point at Tops Checkout for $10 off a $50 gift card uh, to participating retailers like Toys R Us, Cabela's, Sony, Fanatics, Kohl's, Best Buy, JCPenney's, Panera, Macy's, Applebee's, and so many more. Uh, limit one $10 discount per $50 gift card. Uh, the Tops... Uh, Santa's biggest little helper, Tops Christmas bonus. Man, what a time of year, Ryan. Best time of year, Matt. Uh, looking forward to these next few weeks and some must-win football. Must-win football. Don't forget to sign up to be a Shout Insider. Just get that two-week free trial. Knock it out right now if you haven't yet. 716-528-6727. We're going to do a Zoom session for our insiders. Sometime this week, uh, hang in there, uh, insiders, for that date and time. Uh, and we'll be back. Uh, we have at least one more podcast before the Kansas City game, maybe two, depending on what happens at One Bills Drive tomorrow. All right, he's Ryan. I'm Matt. Take care, everybody.